well, how about this new fancy platform that puts you way out in the middle of everybody? It's uh, uh, so good to be here, and I can't believe that I get to be here and be a part of the life of Bayshore again. My first time visiting was way back when Ellen was leading a middle school music camp, and she needed a Bible teacher for that, and so I got to do that. And the youth group, when I was doing youth ministry in Birmingham, Michigan, uh, we would come up here for retreats and love this place. Now I'm a senior pastor, but I don't know how to be a senior pastor, so I just do youth ministry for grown-ups. <laughs> but so far, so good. And uh, Bayshore has really been incredible for us. But do you know um, how many people would have been at Bayshore in 1969? What happened 50 years ago on July 22nd, 1969? 50 years ago this year. The first human being walked on the moon. How amazing. Hi, Barbie. How amazing is that? 50 years ago, they steered the lunar landing, a small step for a man, a giant step for mankind. Now, while the heavens were declaring the glory of God, and here's a picture of, of the earth rise that the astronauts got to see. While that was going, and they were reading scripture from the moon that was being transmitted back to the earth. You guys who are younger, you could do that back in the 1900s. It was amazing. And what happened was they were reading how the heavens declare the glory of God. And there's a beautiful verse in Job that talks about how literally God hung the earth in the black velvet of the heavens. And people think that they thought the earth was flat back then. I think that might have even been a myth too. But while that was going on and the heavens were declaring the glory of God, on earth was being declared the sinfulness of humanity. There was on a farm in upstate New York, the first time ever, an organization that a bunch of people got together. What was that called? Woodstock. We knew that one right away. What does that say? Anyway, what, um, what that was was glorifying casual sex, glorifying drugs, and uh, that was going on. The race riots were going on in our own state, along with all over the country. We had assassinations in that year leading up to the lunar, la lunar launch and landing. Um, uh, Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King, right here in the United States. You know, some things uh, it's good to remind ourselves of, because sometimes we can get pretty caught up in the fact that things seem to not be going well. But 50 years ago, it seemed as though things weren't going well. But do you know what? God was on the move. In Time Magazine, there was a feature just two years before the lunar landing that said, God is dead. And now the guy that wrote the article's dead. <laughs> and we're here worshiping the living God. So Bayshore has been so good. Three years ago and then two years ago, um, Bayshore uh, really reminds me being here of a couple scary things. The first one was, um, here's a picture of my family. Uh, that uh, bride is my daughter Jillian, who three years ago when my wife Lee and I were doing Bible study on the armor of God, got a call from her crying. She was diagnosed with melanoma on her leg. Do you remember that? And you guys stopped everything and prayed for Jillian. And she had the surgery. We got her back up to Michigan. 
and she got married last summer at my parents' farm up north in Maple City, and she's doing great. She's going to finish, uh, she's going to start her third year of law school, and Liberty University's paying for it. So how, with a stipend. So anyway, just praise God for that. And then I also had to put up a picture of Felix, and I think that's Levi with him, isn't it? From last, two years ago we were here, we had just gotten this little boy from Guatemala. And of course we were all here, he had just arrived two days before we had to come here. So we brought Felix with us. And I'll give you more of a Felix update as we go. But we were all here trying to practice our Spanish on him. He was only one and a half, first of all. He had the surgery in September. He had a second surgery. It was brain surgery. It was major cranial facial brain surgery. The, they had to do it twice, where they took his skull off to fix this thing going on. And then it was about a month after that, I got home from work, and Lee said, guess what, honey? I was reading his papers. He doesn't speak Spanish. <laughs> All my best toddler Spanish for naught. He's... He and his family speak Mayan, a language called Kanhobao. And uh, there's more to that story that I'll fill you in. But I will always be so grateful to you guys for being an extended family for my family, even though we are late bloomers when it comes to getting plugged in at Bayshore. And it is so, so good to be here. And uh, what we're going to talk about this week are close encounters with Jesus. We're going to dive in deep on some of the close encounters that Jesus had with some very random people. And it is my prayer that through this week and through the preached word, each of us would come to another close encounter with Jesus, but not just another close encounter with Jesus, a life-transforming encounter with Jesus by the power of his Holy Spirit. A year ago, this past September, um, 10 months ago, I had really a second conversion. And it was when I woke up on a Tuesday morning in the most complete peace I had ever experienced. And I was praying for the Holy Spirit to come. I was so stressed out. And I just got to tell you, I ain't going back. It was one of the most incredible things. We were dealing with problems because our church was building um, some new facilities. We were having trouble with the planning commission. You're always worried about finances when you work at a church. And uh, you know, what we always say about Dexter Church is if you are visiting here and you are against organized religion, we are the church for you because we're just not that organized. <laughs> I'm glad Bayshore is a little more organized than that. Ha <laughs> ha. <laughs> but God came to me by the power of his Holy Spirit and changed my life. And I just want to stand here and share that testimony with you because not, my problems did not go away, but every trace of anxiety went away. That had never happened. But three days earlier, I was at this prayer, two-hour prayer meeting that was at Jackson First United Methodist Church, and I just stand before you um, with this testimony that God has done a new thing in my life, and that is my prayer for every single one of us as a result, maybe even, of being here. But in order for us to get there from here, from wherever you are, I want to invite you to do something. 
on your seat or under your seat, you have just a little three by five card and a pen, hopefully. And I think it's a Bayshore pen. And Jeff said you could take it with you. Did you say that? I just made that up. Oh, he said you could take it with you. And at the end of this message, I'm going to ask you to write on it. And here's the deal. Um, how many people of you uh, brought your phone with you? It is my prayer that you will look at that with new eyes. You know, social media that most of us access on our phones anymore is rampant and is pervasive and pretty all-consuming. And what one of the biggest things in all of the social media platforms is who you follow and how many followers you have and who's following you and who you follow. And I'm starting out this week, I really feel led to ask you, um, there is a button that you can push. I think there's a sample of it. <coughs> On all forms of social media for you to unfollow someone or something. And my invitation to you tonight is to ask, what do you need to unfollow? Maybe it's something in your past. Maybe it's just your past, and you have been led. You are being led by your past. In other words, you are following something in your past. There are some people that you are following. You have no business following. There are some websites. There are some ideas. There is maybe it's unforgiveness. There are some emotions that are leading you around by the nose. And I believe this week, God wants you to unfollow something, something in your life. And so at the end of the message, we're going to have a little time for you to write down what it is you're unfollowing. You don't have to worry. I don't know anybody's handwriting in this room. And you can simply, during a time of commitment, you can bring them forward, and we'll just have you put them just on this side of the kneeling rails, wherever is close by to you. And uh, it is time for some of us to unfollow some stuff. You know, that was one of the big dilemmas for people as they were approaching Jesus. Many of them had to make a choice. C.S. Lewis says, we, can, we think we can go through life never having to make an ultimate choice. And he says that's a disastrous error if we think that. Because Jesus said, if you choose to follow me, it might even cost you your right hand or your right eye. So we're going to look at some of his encounters. I don't know about you, but lately I've felt bound. I've felt tied up by some things, by my schedule, by my habits, by my lack of organization, by my choosing not to learn things that I really need to learn. Maybe you felt bound by success or by other people's expectations. That's a huge one by my choices. I felt bound by my kids. And with that said, I want to share with you one of my favorite weird stories in the Gospels of a man in bondage who's set free by Jesus. 
Maybe you felt the same way. If you have your Bibles with you, we'll be reading from Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained, hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out, and he would cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. Then he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, For we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. And the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. And so Jesus gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and they went into the pigs. And the herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. A bad day to be a pig farmer, huh? Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus did not let him. But he said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, ten small towns there, how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Would you bow your heads with me? Take my lips and speak through them. Take our thoughts and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Unless you speak, nothing of significance will be spoken. Bring us your word, Lord Jesus. Amen. Wow. Can you imagine being one of Jesus' disciples, going with him, witnessing this? Like, Jesus, why do we got to go to all the weird ones? What about all the good-looking, wealthy ones? We need them too, don't we? A freaky man in a freaky place, in the tombs, and a freaky story. Demons sent into pigs. People freaked out who asked Jesus to leave, which he does. And then this healed man who asked permission to go along with him, which Jesus doesn't grant. What an encounter. 
And it's where we begin this week on our encounters with Jesus. So this takes place in Mark chapter 5, right after Jesus calms the storm. Mark writes this. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. Now it's interesting, this place has been lost to history. They know which side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee, that it is. But that is all they know. The Gerasenes, as it's described here, is lost to history. No one knows where it was. And then Jesus gets out of the boat. And when Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This crazed man was living in the tombs. He was living among the tombs. He was living among the world of the dead. You know, in our area, in the U.S., with our wealth of opportunities, it is easy to build your life around all kinds of stuff, none of which is life-giving. It is easy to build your life around all kinds of stuff, none of which is life-giving, but really more life-distracting, calling us to follow. And I just want to say how sad, how sad when I fall into that, how sad when the people I love fall into that. So many people are living comfortable lives in tombs that we've created tombs that we've created that are every bit as beautiful as the Egyptian pyramids, but with full of nothing but death. You know, the devil likes to keep you in the tombs so that those who are spiritually dead can influence you. The devil wants to drag, they want, the devil wants them to drag you down with them. It reminds me, how many of us prefer the predictability of living among the dead rather than risk opening ourselves up to the unexpectedness of the living? But Jesus met this man there among the tombs. Boy, does that give me hope when I get so caught up in stuff Look at verse 3. This man lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart, and he broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. You know, it often seems as though Christianity or the church is not strong enough to break the chains of people anymore. But I'm here to tell you as a witness that the church is growing by leaps and bounds. The church is the most diverse human organization, human gathering around the planet. There is no more diverse organization in the world that is growing by leaps and bounds all over the world just not as we're aware of it here in North America. So watch what you're reading when it comes to that. Because the church of Jesus Christ is not weak. We are, 
we are weak in order that he might be strong working in us and through us. But make sure you're telling the right story. So this man lives among the tombs. No one could bind him. He is chained. He's too strong to be subdued. And remember, as you're thinking about this, this was someone's son or brother or friend or even father. People had obviously tried to help, but they went about it wrong. They were trying to bind him in that way. And isn't it true? We often try to solve spiritual problems with human solutions. Now, there's some overlap. A year ago, kind of leading up to this reawakening that I had, I was walking with my friend Marty Fletcher, Dr. Marty Fletcher. He's a psychologist. He's a motorcycle rider. He's got tattoos up his arm, and he came to faith in Christ about five years ago. He was doing business startups, and he had always kept up his psychology license to practice. And he... Um, He was walking with me. It was four in the afternoon, and he wanted to grab a water from Joe and Rosie's, which is the little coffee shop right in downtown Dexter. And then we were walking on the border-to-border -border trail, and, and I got a cup of coffee, and he said, don't you know that, that caffeine in that coffee has a half-life of six to eight hours? And I was, like, I was like, yeah, but it doesn't bother me. Of course, I was always agitated and staying up till midnight or one in the morning, addicted to the Settlers of Catan online game. This was a year ago, yes. And that stands for leader. <laughs> That's what my kids tell me. But, but I let that sink in, and about three or four days later, I made the decision to stop drinking coffee in the 10 a.m. hour. And it changed my life. And I think it was one of the simple human solutions that opened up some spiritual problems and solutions for those spiritual problems for me. So 9, 10, 11 o'clock, I am ready for bed. And God was able to minister to me. Do you realize often the difference between despair and hope is a good night's sleep? God wants to give us that and for us to experience that fully. But oftentimes, we try to solve spiritual problems only with human solutions. And when your problems are spiritual, we face something that only an encounter with Jesus can fix. And don't you know, the deepest problems that we face as the race of humanity, races of, of all people, is a spiritual one. Everything else that we see on the surface is a result of the brokenness in our lives under what people can see. Now, this man, obviously, people could see that he was broken, but how many of us sitting around here who look pretty good are under the surface walking around entombed, walking around in chains? And I just want to say, if you will open yourself up to Jesus this week, what he could do would change your life.
Look at verse 5. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, this man would cry out and cut himself with stones. Sadly enough, it's not as ancient a story as you might think. The Gerizim demoniac was self-destructing. He was crying out. He was into cutting, which is a popular thing for young adults especially today. He was crying out. Do you know the emotional pain that people who cut are dealing with? Simply wanting somebody to understand them. And for some, it's a way to gain control of a chaotic existence. For others, it's a feeling of release. Loners crying in confusion and in self-hate. I guess my question for all of us, of all of our ages, is what's your form of cutting yourself with stones? The truth is, Jesus already knows. Maybe it's holding on to hate. Maybe it's self-destructive drinking or smoking or drugs. It could be the internet. It could be eating up inordinate amounts of your time, keeping you in the tomb, stealing your soul, deterring you from everything that's healthy, including important relationships in your life. Just like the Gerizim demoniac. Everybody say, Gerizim demoniac. That's what the theologians and the Bible scholars call this guy. Just like the Gerizim demoniac, so many people today are crying out. They've bought into some other lie, either about themselves or about God, and they have no idea how good God is or how good they can be in Him. They have no true sense of self-worth. And it's why we're journeying through this week, looking at encounters with Jesus so that we can see more clearly his face, so we can hear more clearly his words for us this day, so we can experience more closely his love, his forgiveness. Are your chains today something that you're able to name, or is it still in some depth of shame that you can't bring out? Is it doubt? Is it bondage? How many great people never express love or appreciation because they're in bondage? If so, I'm just saying, see the lie for what it is. Jesus asked this man's name. He named it before him. See the lie for what it is. Tombs are no tombs. Do the people around you know how much you love them? Does your love help them see God's love? Especially young people. While self-destructive habits and addictions aren't restricted to any age group, youth and young adults are most vulnerable. Suicide is the third leading cause of death for 15 to 24-year-olds. And the former Surgeon General under the Barack Obama administration has um, been putting together research in order to tackle what he has called the epidemic of loneliness. Loneliness is at epidemic proportions. The people who are counselors, who are professional counselors and psychologists that I interact with said they have never seen the level of loneliness leading to fear and anxiety as they are seeing in their patients today. Research shows specific ways to heal this wound. Stability, teaching biblical theology, someone working with teens towards spiritual maturity, spending time eating family meals together, loving kids for who they are, developing a network of significant adults, 
attending a church that models Christ-like love and involvement with positive peers. But you know, theologically, Satan wants to destroy God's image in you and in those you love. Look at verse 6. When he, the Gerizim demoniac, when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and he fell on his knees in front of him and he shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. And look at this. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. You know, I think we underestimate the importance of this. Jesus had said, in other words, he had already been saying this. Come out of this man, you evil spirit. In other words, Jesus had been praying for him. Prayer is the one weapon against which everyone is defenseless, especially if you're a grandma. People may refuse our love. People may reject our message, but they are defenseless against our prayers. Whatever your situation, whoever God is bringing to you, whatever impasse you feel like you're at with your son, with your daughter, with your spouse, with your parents, know that they can reject everything about us, but they're defenseless against our prayers. And when, when people pray, God moves. You can aim a prayer at a person's heart, whether you're 10 feet away from them or 10,000 miles away. You must know, though, that Jesus has been praying for you, too. Praying that you would give your life to him for healing. That you would give up the demons. That you would unfollow the idols, the distractions in your life in order to have a close encounter with him. So verse 9, then Jesus asked him, what's your name? What's your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. In other words, this man had no name. Like so many people today. Nobody knows their name. After all, even the good people only talk to the other good people, right? How do people today remain nameless? Maybe they're a statistic, or they're a number, or they're a category like foreigner or homeless, or an adjective like black or white or liberal or conservative. When you start pe calling people by adjectives, you're in trouble. All of us get in trouble when we lose someone's name. Names are so important in the Bible. And I think Jesus hates it when we call someone an adjective instead of a name. Before we're born, Scripture says God knows us and he knows our name. There's three tips for helping remember literally someone's name. The first is to use it three times in the conversation when you first meet them. Kendall. Even if it feels awkward, Kendall, that you insert some, this other person's name, Kendall, three times. But your percentage of, of likelihood to remember their names goes up by like 35%. Another way would be to ask how you spell it. Like, is that Anne with an E? Is it Christine with a K or a C? And visualize how you spell it. 
And then the third tip to remembering someone's name is to be standing near someone who knows a lot of people's names. <laughs> That's how I work on remembering people's names. This man had no name. How do you begin naming? You ask God to help you look at a person and to see that Jesus shed his blood for them. That nameless person in traffic that you see for a second has a life worth dying for. And when Jesus asks the Gerizim demoniac what his name is, he says his name is Legion. Well, Legion is actually a Roman word. Legion is a legion of Roman soldiers. It is 6,000 soldiers. But while Roman soldiers all march together in a powerful way, 6,000 demons going every which way can tear you apart. It's a civil war being fought within your own skin. Just like the medieval torture known as quartering, where your arms and your legs are tied to four different horses, which then gallop in four different directions. And I know some of you here today are feeling a little drawn and quartered because of your season of life that you're going through. Look at verse 10. The man begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside, and the demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. And he gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now this is really fascinating. M. Scott Peck, who wrote the book The Road Less Traveled, and he wrote a book called People of the Lie, is respected both in Christian circles and in psychotherapeutic circles. And M. Scott Peck, who began his research and his writing as an agnostic or an atheist and became a Christ follower as a result of his studies, says this about demonic possession. He says demonic possession is real, although it's very rare. He said it is a long, slow process that involves the cooperation of the victim to some degree in which the person possessed repeatedly sells out to evil. It often involves loneliness. And people start by making simple compromises with one kind of evil or another, following things they have no business following. And then there comes a point where the evil actually takes over. You know, addiction seems like possession. Addicts eventually use words like helpless and powerless but it begins by simply slow process, cooperation from the victim, and it involves making simple compromises. Anytime you use the words, well, just this once, let that be a huge red flag to whatever it is you're thinking about doing. You know the parable Jesus tells of the 99 sheep and there's one lost sheep how did that sheep get lost sheep don't just run a mile away all at once now I grew up in the suburbs I didn't even ever hear the word 4-H until I went to college but from what I understand 
sheep. How many people did 4-H growing up? Awesome. I'm so envious of you. How many people raised sheep? A couple. A sheep is made for eating grass. And what happens is as a sheep is eating grass, they look up just enough to see another tuft of good-looking grass 10 feet away. And they go there, and they eat some more. And from this new spot, they see a little more fresh grass. Their eyes are nowhere on any kind of shepherd. And they nibble and nibble and nibble until they nibble themselves lost. That's how people, C.S. Lewis talks about, that's how people end up in hell. Hell is not so much a cliff as it is a swamp into which you go bit by bit by bit, choice by choice by choice. Look at what happens in this close encounter with Jesus, with this man. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind. And they were afraid. You know, when the established order gets changed, even if it's for the good, we need to be ready because people will be afraid. They'll put their future in the way things are rather than in Christ. They put their future in the hands of technology, the economy even, but they've never stopped to consider putting it in God's hands. And you know the saying, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. So the people are now scared because something real has transpired. And they have no idea what to make of it. Look at verse 16. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. It was a huge economic loss. You have to know that. But isn't that interesting that they missed the healing? They missed this transformation because they're so caught up in everything else going on around them. They missed the miracle. In verse 18, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but he said, go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Interesting, in the end of this close encounter with Jesus, there are two groups of people praying to Jesus, talking to Jesus. One is the people in the area praying that Jesus would leave, especially the pig farmers. They're like, get him out of here. He is not very helpful to us. And Jesus answers their prayer. He says, yes, I'll go. The other party praying to Jesus is the demoniac, praying to go with him. To which Jesus says, no. He answers the locals' prayer, but not the demoniacs. And I just got to wonder why. Perhaps it's to show that he is the great physician. You know, once the doctor heals you, you're free to go. You've been healed to be free. 
It's the same reason that Jesus doesn't call all people to be monks on a mountainside somewhere. Because Jesus wants you to bring him into your daily life. Jesus wants you to bring him home. Jesus says that's God's message. It's not just for camp, but it's for the other 51 weeks a year. Whatever your life, whatever your duties, that's God's message. Wherever you are, whether it's engineering cars or changing diapers, graft your faith to your work and redeem your work. Make your work an act of worship. Make whatever you do valuable for God. And Jesus does answer the local people's prayer by going away. But he didn't go away entirely. Do you see what he did? He left the man. He left the demoniac there with the local people. This Gerizim demoniac, he left this man with his spirit in him so that Jesus continued to be there through him. In his own culture, people would never have come to Jesus himself, especially after the whole pig thing. But they would come to this guy and they would hear the message through this man. I think we as Christians in churches in North America today starve ourselves because we do not hear what God is doing in one another's lives in our worship service enough. People need to know that's my story this week. The New Testament is full of the testimonies of the saints. And I believe God's calling you and me to go back home and not to tell what happened 30 years ago, the first time I came to Bayshore, but what happened this week and where you met God and how your life is literally miraculously changed. Jesus left this man. He answered their prayer by him going away, but he left the Gerizim demoniac there with the Holy Spirit in him such that Christ himself was there all along. He left this guy there to continue God's ministry, just like today. Christ has gone on to heaven and left you and me here to continue his ministry in the power of his spirit. You and I are not equal to Christ in any respect, except by faith. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14. The one who believes on me, the person who believes on me, the man who believes on me, the woman who believes on me, Notice it's on me, not in me in this case. The one who believes on me, the works that I do, shall he or she do also. And greater works than these shall they do because I go to the Father. Just like Jesus left the Gerizim demoniac for his people, so Christ has left us for 2019. It is no accident that you are here this year with the craziness going on around you in your own life, let alone in the news in the world. Because God knew your witness, your testimony, your presence of the Holy Spirit is there for the people today. Like the Gerizim demoniac, may we go in that faith and may we help others encounter Jesus.
I'm going to close in prayer, and during prayer, maybe we could get some music, just some quiet music of response, and it's time. You don't need to write your name on it. Simply write what you are bringing to this altar this week, tonight, because some of you are following some stuff you have no business following. And it's time to let that go. That you too could be unshackled by that, by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Let us pray.